Hello, everyone. Good to see you all today. So we're celebrating fathers today, all things men, and we give honor to, to you guys, all the guys in this room. We give honor to you, and we give honor to all the male influences in our lives, both past and present, our champions. But you know what? It's good to be a bloke, isn't it, guys? Guys, give me a... Get, I need some response, guys. We're going to go through like a, a top 10 here in no particular order, actually. This is not top 10. It's just the 10 things, the 10 reasons why it's good to be a bloke. Are you with me? So I need some response. I need some response because these are all truths that we live with that women just don't understand. Okay? And so I'm therefore I'm saying it. I'm being recorded. I'm being recorded. This is on record. Okay? It's good to be a bloke. Give me some feedback. Come on. Number one, we can fix anything without having any formal experience. We, we inherently know the directions. We don't have to queue for a bathroom. Yeah? We only shave what and when we want to. We pay less for haircuts. We, this is the biggie, we can pee anywhere. We can be ready, doesn't matter what the occasion, we can be ready in 10 minutes. Start counting. Yeah. We can play Lego and Nerf guns as adults and not be judged. Waxing is something that we only do to surfboards. And we get sheds. Huh? It is good to be a bloke. There is, however, one thing that we get wrong. Just one thing. Now, you might not agree with me at this moment in time, but bear with me. I'm going to prove to you that I'm right. There's only one thing that we get wrong. And if you think about it, no matter what situation that you can think of, it will boil down to this. You ready? This is gold. We don't really listen. You take... You take any situation that you can think of, and it will boil down to the fact that we don't really listen. If we turn up late or in the wrong place, it's because we didn't listen. We get sent out for milk, and we come back with two straight-to-DVD Steven Seagal movies. No milk. We just didn't listen. So when I was preparing this, I asked Julie. This is probably a dangerous thing on my part, but we asked Julie... Um, I asked Julie, what were the things that I didn't really listen to in life? Now, once the 45-minute PowerPoint presentation was over, which, might I add, came with a very professional-looking bound heart uh, handout, I, I came up with these three things. That, that this, is, this is the things that, that I don't listen to in the house. I don't listen to her when she asks me to put the tumble dryer on in the morning so that the kids have dry school uniform to go to school with. I don't listen. I don't listen when she says that, that my toilet, I have a toilet that is just mine. No guests use it. No family members use it. It is mine. I do not listen when she says that it could do with a clean every now and then. And I'm going to swap this will actually no, I'm going to do for four instead of three because actually I found out another one this morning. So this is this is what she told me was her personal number one, that things that she places temporarily on the bottom stair when she's tidying up are not to be walked past. Yeah, that was that was the number one. 
but I also found one. I showed I showed a picture that I found in my wallet today. I showed a picture to Rasheen of Dewey with short hair. Um, this is how long have we been married now? 18 years. This would have been about 19 years ago. Dewey had really short hair, and I proposed to her when she had short hair, and I did not listen when she told me, "Do not dare propose to me when I have short hair because I want long hair when I get married," and I did not listen. I'm sorry. It's on. It's on record now. So, she was beautiful. Anyway, we don't listen. Can you now agree with me that that is the one failing of a man? Isn't it? Just the one. That's all I'm saying. And I have the microphone, everyone. In our passage this morning in the Bible, we're we're reading about two guys who they're having this conversation. Some would actually say they're having an argument. And typically, they were discussing a subject that, that we as blokes are, are prone to have as bloke-to-bloke conversations. And it basically was, I'm better than you. And Jesus had already addressed this. He had already told them uh, that this was not on and that there was no reason why they should fight for number one and number two kind of within the, the, the top 12, the disciples. But rather, they should be the least of all. This morning, we're going to read from Mark chapter 10. Continuing on in our, our The King and His Cross series in Mark. But I just want to just notch back to chapter 9. Because this is kind of like the groundwork, if you like. Um, so in, ch- in chapter 9, what we have is we have Jesus. And he's walking towards Jerusalem. Which, by the way, is... By the way, I've got that popcorn. I've got that stuck in my teeth now. Great. So, <laughs> it's our champion's fault. Um... So Jesus is heading down to Jerusalem with his disciples, and they're on, they're on the road. And bear in mind, Jesus is walking towards his impending death. And he is trying to tell his closest friends about the hardships and the suffering that was about to happen. And here are two of Jesus' best buddies, the inner circle. The ones who have the cool nicknames and the secret handshakes. The ones who Jesus has personally personally selected to be his champions and they're not really listening rather they are arguing about which one of them is going to be the greatest in the kingdom of god and this is what it says so this is mark chapter 9 they came to capernaum and when he was in the house he jesus asked them james and john what were you arguing about on the road but they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, because he knows what they're on about, and he's saying anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. So they've been told, that was chapter 9, they didn't listen. And we now pick the story up in chapter 10, when Jesus is having to do this again. This is now the third time that Jesus is trying to have this conversation with with his disciples. So here we go. In fact, I'm going to read it from my notes. Does anyone need a Bible, by the way? Put your hand up if you need a Bible. There's Bibles at the end. You may take them away if you do not have one at home. But Mark chapter 10 says this. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Now, let's just pause just for a second here. If my kids came to me and said, Dad, we want you to do what, I'm, what we're about to ask you, 
with no context, with no background, just trying to get me to promise that I will give them what they're about to ask for. What do you think my answer is going to be? No. So here we are, sons of thunder, asking Jesus to blindly grant their whim. Probably not. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked, very gracious, better than my answer. And they replied, let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left in your glory. You do not know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? We can, they answered. And Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. Now, when the ten heard this, they became, became indignant with James and John. And Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers over the Gentile lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So what were they arguing about? It was a power struggle, a jostling for position of authority in what they were assuming was about to happen next. Now, despite Jesus trying to inform them that he was going to suffer and die, they still thought Jesus was about to break through in some kind of heavenly revolution. Like, almost like when Gandalf comes like, over that hill with all the elf army and he sweeps down and saves the day. They thought that Jesus was about to whip out some angel armies and kick some Roman butt. And to be honest, they were kind of half right. They could clearly see that Jesus was the Son of God. They could clearly see his power. They had seen the miracles. They knew that he could bring about a radical victory. So there was miracles, there was healings, he raised the dead. They had picked the winning side. Brilliant. They had even seen Jesus standing in his glory beside Moses and Elijah in what the Bible calls the transfiguration. And this was just a glimpse of who Jesus really was, where his divinity, his glorified divinity, was briefly unveiled. And Peter, James, and John had been there to see it. They knew who he was. And yet they still got it so wrong. In fact, the other ten disciples... So James and John, but all the other ten disciples became indignant. They were saying, oh, this is so unfair. They were like an angry, grumpy teenager. Oh, so unfair. Look at these guys jostling for position. Where are we? So even they got it wrong. And so Jesus takes all twelve and he says, listen, lads. The leaders of this world lord it over. They dominate those that they lead. And even these days, we are encouraged to be like that. Hands up if you watch The Apprentice. Anyone? A few? I cannot watch it. I cannot abide by these people who are capable and able leaders clawing and fighting and scratching and backstabbing their way to the top. I, and it just, I can't do it, so I don't watch it. But they are encouraged to do so. Now, you may argue that they're encouraged because they're on TV, but they are encouraged to do so. And how often do we, in our lives, take credit for something that maybe we shouldn't have or cover up a mistake that we actually did do, all to look good in front of those around us 
or the higher ups. And Jesus says, not you. He spells out what is needed to be his champion, to be like a servant. And actually he goes even further and he says, be like a slave. One of the differences between a servant and a slave back in Bible times, because actually they use the term interchangeably really, but at the end of the day, the difference between a servant and a slave was that a servant had a defined period where actually it might come to an end, where he's paid off that debt or he's paid his dues, then he gets his freedom. But yet a slave was someone who, who had to do the same work but had no hope of freedom. He had no hope of something at the end of the day. What is Jesus saying? In order to be first, you need to put yourself, your character, your heart attitude as one who would still do it even though there was no hope of return, no hope of profit, and perhaps no hope of an end. His way is definitely not a self-promoting, self-serving kind of leadership. Wow. Countercultural, wouldn't you say? Whoever wants to be first must be last. And all through this, his teaching, Jesus' teaching, we see this. He says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth, Matthew 5. No striving and no power grabbing, meekness. He says, if anyone forces you to go one mile, then you need to go with him too. That was also in Matthew 5. Basically, back in those days, a Roman centurion had the power to say, carry my stuff for a mile. Now, he, was, he, he couldn't ask you to go anymore, but you had to give him that mile. And yet Jesus comes along and says, no, you go the second mile. Hence, we get our phrase from, Jesus is saying, be an abundant blessing. When talking about worry over, over financial provision, he says, seek first his kingdom, not work harder and work longer. And when talking about forgiveness, Peter comes up to him and says, so Jesus, see when we should forgive. And he's trying to be cool and clever here. And he says, should we forgive them seven times? Because that's what I do. I forgive seven times, not just once. I forgive seven times. And Jesus turned around and says, no, you should forgive 70 times seven. Now, it's not a formula. We're not asking for a number here, whatever that works out at. He's talking about a big number. Basically, forgive all the time without, without ending, no harboring, any grudges. It's countercultural. I don't think it's wrong to desire the positions of influence or actually to have a position of influence. After all, this wasn't the point that Jesus was kind of upset about, about James and John. Leadership is more important than that in life and relationships. But it's how we do it and how we get there that is important and we should differ from the world. So if we click the next slide, Mark, we're going to have a look at, uh, I hope you can read that, but on the left side we've got popular culture and on the right side we've got counterculture or Jesus culture. Now, to be countercultural is to reject or to be opposed to the dominant values and behavior of society. So, I will come over here so that you guys can read it as well. Popular culture would say that it is okay to be dominating, whereas Jesus' culture says, be gentle and meek. Popular culture might say, me first, and Jesus' culture says, others first. Self-promotion, well, no one else will do it. No one else will shout your praises if you don't do it. Whereas Jesus says, selflessness, promote others because they don't know, they can't do it themselves. 
The world would say money equals success. The Bible says that generosity would equal success. The world says things, having things, material possessions are good. And God would say compassion is good. The world would say go for the next rung up on the ladder or, or get the next model of car up. Whereas Jesus says go for the next opportunity to encourage someone. So basically to sum it up, the world would say if we click it Mark once, the world would say harder, better, faster, stronger. Do you remember that song? Harder, better, faster, stronger. But Jesus says, loving, gracious, kingdom-minded, which I'm sure is going to be a new hit that I will release later this year. So, to be countercultural, how do we become a university champion? Or how do we become a workplace champion? Or a marriage champion? Or a parent champion? Or a school gate champion? A Jesus champion? We need to follow Jesus' example and his wisdom, that even he, the Son of Man, came not to be served, but to serve. And we move away from the culture of the day toward, um, toward what Jesus' ways are. So therefore, we go to the next slide. Instead of seeking authority, we move to taking opportunities to serve and encourage others. We move away from striving for the best position to positioning ourselves best. And we move away from seeking power to exerting influence. So marketing gurus would say that we need to hear something seven times before it sinks in. So Julie needs to tell me seven times to not walk past those things on the bottom of the stair before it will really sink in. And I'm pretty sure she's only asked me six times. There's hope yet. Yet. So I wonder how many times the disciples had to hear this. I wonder. But what we do know is that Peter actually finally got it. Because what we read in in 1 Peter 5, one of the letters that Peter wrote to a church that he helped plant, it says this. Be shepherds of God's flock who are under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you. Can you hear Jesus' words echoing here? But by being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. So even though there's a slave moment where we need to be countercultural and move away from reward or gain, Jesus still says, how gracious is this? How loving is this? He still says, one day, if you take this on board, you will receive a crown of glory for doing this. So to sum up what Peter's definition of leadership is, it is being a willing, eager example. Agreed? Is that what he's saying? Great. So really quickly, I just want to, to do the, those, take those three things really, really quickly. Number one, and by the way, in the, in the spirit of being Father's Day and of being about all things blokes, I've got three Ps. Because we can pee anywhere. The first P. Put others first. Huh? 
it's good, isn't it? Put others first. Be willing to provide care. So the statement that I want to make is to be Jesus' champion, we move away from dominating authority and moving toward taking opportunities to put others first. So this is the point that Peter says, be shepherds of God's flock that are under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, just as Jesus would want you to do. So be willing to provide care. That's how I interpret it. Put others first. The second P, position yourselves to better serve others. In fact, if I flick back, because I like what I said there better. Instead of striving for the best position, position yourselves best to better serve others, not to pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over anyone else who is entrusted to you. In our workplaces, homes and families, do we lift our eyes off ourselves and invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us about how we could best serve others? We've been looking at uh, everyday supernatural in our small groups. Are we taking the time to invite the Holy Spirit to whisper to us and to maybe just tweak our path ever so slightly in order to bless other people? And how do we position ourselves better? Seek him first and all of these things will be added unto you. Spend time in God's presence, worshipping him, praying and listening. And listen for that still, small voice. Position yourself to better serve others. And you'll be relieved. It's Father's Day, dad jokes. You'll be relieved that this is the final P. Pursue influence, not power. The statement is, to be a Jesus champion, we move away from pursuing power and control and move toward being an influence. Not pursuing dishonest gain. This is Peter's words. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but by being an example setter. I just want to tell you one quick story. A friend of mine, and this is, I promise you, this is not autobiographical. He has two boys. Again, it's not me. And the two boys went shopping with the mum, food shopping with the mum. And yes, definitely not us. Um, and the mum, the mum bent down to pick up something off the bottom shelf, and the youngest son turns around and smacks her on the backside and says, "Out the way, gorgeous!" Because he had seen his dad do it once. The people that we look up to have an influence on us. Isn't that true? The message translation of the passage of the, the First Peter passage says this, not calculating what we get out of it, but acting spontaneously, not bossily telling others what to do, but tenderly showing them the way, i.e. live, you live, as you would like others to live. Do you care about the people in your world enough to start doing the first two points? And as you do those first two points, looking out for others and positioning yourself better, then suddenly this influence that you have starts to build itself and you have motivation and means to influence others. Be an example to others instead of pursuing power, pursue influence.
instead. So this is all today about champion. And of course, we cannot mention the word champion without mentioning Muhammad Ali. Well, we could, but I'm not going to. Muhammad Ali was considered to be one of the best boxers of, boxers of all time. And he famously said, I am the greatest, which doesn't actually illustrate my point. But he also said this as well. I hated every minute of training. But I said, don't quit. Suffer a bit now and live the rest of your days as a champion. Do you know, it's hard to grasp this idea of being a slave to everyone. It doesn't come naturally, and it's 100% countercultural, like Ali's training. But what a different position this world would be in right now if each one of us could put into practice Jesus' wisdom. Whoever wants to be great, it's not the desire to be influential that's the issue. What's important is the journey that we take to get there. So, take every opportunity to encourage. Position yourselves best to serve others and seek to influence those around you, above you and beneath you. Not with any hope of gain or recognition or because you have to, but because you follow Jesus, our champion's example. It may be a tougher route than popular culture, but you'll live the rest of your days as a champion. Jesus is champion. Let's stand.